The answer is that it's really difficult, right? So context switching and feeling like you're available for all of your clients can be extremely difficult to do. So there's a couple of best practices that we recommend to our fractionals. Welcome to this episode of Impulse, the Influencer Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Pratik Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Joining us today is Rajat Kapoor, an entrepreneur, experienced marketer, and the founder and CEO of And Marketing. He's known for bringing the best of big company marketing strategies to smaller companies without the excess baggage. His team of professionals can either augment an existing team, take on a fractional CMO role, or outsource the entire marketing function for a client. On that note, today we are going to be talking more about this concept of a fractional CMO. Who is it for? At what stage should you get one? And also, of course, talk about influencer marketing techniques that can help you succeed. But before we get into the conversation today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so that you don't miss out on any of the latest episodes. So Rajat, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Pratik. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your experience. You went from being VP of marketing at EMM Group and you started your own marketing consultancy. What was the driving force behind that niche? Yeah, before I started this company now almost eight years ago, I worked mostly with big companies for about 20 years in a mix of sales, marketing, and strategy. I really enjoyed my consulting experience at EMM Group. As you saw, as a VP of marketing and I was a partner at the firm. And really, I wanted to make a career switch for two primary reasons. So the first was personal. The work that I did at EMM Group as a strategy consultant had some very intense travel, and it was a time in my life where my children were very small. So now I have a 14-year-old, almost 15, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. So six or seven years ago when I left that, they were really small, and I was traveling quite a bit internationally. So I definitely wanted to spend more time with them. The second big reason was very professional. So as a strategy consulting company, we did not do much with digital marketing. And it may sound funny to say that in that day and age or in this day and age that there was marketing without digital marketing because every day that goes by, those are more and more linked. But that really was a strategy firm. And I had a really good job of doing the strategic type of work for companies, but we really didn't get into the digital details. And I knew as my career progressed, I was going to have to become a master of digital marketing. It is the transformative trend in our industry during our lifetimes. And I felt like I was missing that. So I felt like it was a good opportunity to leave the consulting world and get into the digital marketing world a little bit better. So tell me a little bit more about and marketing, right? What's the main focus over there and what is it that you do that is unique and different? Yeah. So when I started the business, I didn't intend to start a digital marketing company necessarily. What I really knew was that there was a gap in the market with especially startups and lower middle market companies having access to digital marketing expertise. Most of the time, there's a company that's good at something, either building something or providing a service, and they've grown or they aspire to grow, and they don't have marketing as a core competency. It's very difficult for them to get the expertise and knowledge on how to grow their business. And the problem in the world that I knew that existed is that most marketing agencies really stink at providing good service to companies like that. They either don't understand how a company makes money, they don't link the digital marketing activity to actual business metrics, or they have a staff that just doesn't understand how the business really works. And that was a frustration I had as a purchaser of digital marketing services, so I knew it was a really big problem. 
So when I started the company, it started off with the route that companies need an affordable solution to be able to adopt digital marketing technologies. That's a wave that is coming. And that brought us a lot of success early on. We were able to get clients. We were able to really help them adopt digital technologies. But very naturally, we hit a plateau. The backstory is I started the business. It took me about six months to find some level of fit, find a few clients and that sort of thing. And then when the pandemic hit, we ended up losing a really big client on the first day of the pandemic because their entire business was predicated on customers being able to go into their offices every day. They provided a healthcare service to office workers. So basically on the first day of the pandemic, they were out of business and that really set us back pretty badly. That forced me to retrench. And I know really well that in periods of uncertainty, it's really important to play offense. And so instead of retrenching myself, we really use that as an opportunity to listen to what the market is saying. And as now is very obvious, all of the people, all of the salespeople, especially and all the marketing people that were on needed more digital content to be able to communicate during the pandemic. So even though it was a bad thing for the world, it ended up being quite a good thing for our business because we were playing offense at the right time. So ended up building the business back up once again. And then about two years ago, we decided to launch our fractional CMO service. So basically the idea behind that is we can help with the execution or the agency part of the business. And that was going pretty well. But whenever that didn't work, there was usually a strategic element lacking in the business's foundation. So whether that is segmentation, customer understanding, developing ICPs, some of the things that most people were considered very basic, if those are missing, it doesn't matter what execution you put forth. So about two years ago, we started this fractional CMO practice. Now we have 55 fractional chief marketing officers within our community, and we help deploy them to, again, startups and lower middle market companies to help with that strategic leadership. That's now about half of our business. So it's about half the execution agency business and about half of the strategy business, which is the fractional CMO. Okay, that's great. So let's talk a little bit more about the fractional CMO concept, right? I see more people holding fractional CMO titles as well now. What do you think is different about a fractional CMO versus, is it still a marketing consultant? Yeah, it could be. I get that question quite often. So a fractional CMO is distinct from either a marketing agency or a marketing consultant for one really big reason. Whenever you have an outside party, like a consultant or an agency, that individual or that team is at arm's length from the leadership team, by definition, right? They have a scope, they execute their scope, and they provide that to the team. A fractional CMO, when done correctly, should feel a part of your leadership team. So they should sit at the most senior level, they should be providing advice to the CEO and the rest of the leadership team about how to grow the business. It's just made for companies that can't necessarily afford or don't have enough work for a full-time chief marketer. So usually that price tag is exorbitant for this particular market segment, or it's a company that has never hired somebody full-time. So going from the process of having no chief marketing officer to an expensive experienced chief marketing officer can be quite a big bite. So it feels like a, a much smaller ask to work with a fractional CMO. And when it works well, that works extremely. So that's the key difference, I would say. What is something that can make it work really well? I think what makes it work really well, especially in our client engagements, is when you really understand, there's two elements I would say. Number one is when you really are ready to have somebody come in from the outside and tell you what to do. What I always say to CEOs who are considering a fractional CMO, if they already have a strategy and they just need somebody to implement it, go hire a marketing director. It's going to be much less expensive. That person may be a little bit more junior but that person will be much more likely to execute an existing strategy. However, 
If you want somebody more senior who will tell you what to do, give you advice, and help you run your business and help it grow, that's when it might be a good spot for a chief marketing officer. The other answer I would give is that a fractional chief marketing officer is only for a company who is ready to grow. And it sounds kind of funny when you say it, but if a company is okay and happy with their results today and don't really have a high growth aspiration, it's usually not a good spend. So if I work with a company and I'm finding out that they don't have the particular background or they don't understand what they want to get from a fractional chief marketing officer, I'll usually dissuade them from that type of an option. Okay, cool. So if businesses are trying to consider between choosing a fraction CMO or a full-time CMO, of course, you mentioned a little bit about budget could be one factor why they might want to think about a fraction CMO. What's something else that might motivate a business to go with a fraction CMO? And would you want to consider that even if you do have potentially a CMO on the team? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say first, the primary reason that a company would take on a fractional is budget, but there are secondary reasons. So the secondary reasons might be that they want to do something in a much shorter period of time that has a higher impact on the business. So besides the fact they can't afford them, they want a very specific expertise. And so even if a company has a marketing leader, you may choose to work with one of our fractional CMOs so you can hit the ground running very quickly. So for example, if you are launching a new product in a new market, or it's a different kind of a product or a different kind of service that is not core to your business, you may want a fractional CMO to come in to do that launch with very specific existing expertise. One of the things we do, and we painstakingly spend time on this, is aligning the needs of a particular client or prospect with our group of 55 fractional CMOs. Most commonly, they're looking for industry experience, or they're looking for some other important metric like company stage or geography or something like that. So for example, that you may want somebody who has B2B technology or consumer packaged goods or healthcare or financial services experience. And it may be too hard to find somebody that does that full-time. You may just want that in-house as a fractional or something like that. Okay, great. Uh, Rajat, one thing you've mentioned is, you know, one of the things that you bring onto the table with your team is some of the best practices of big company marketing and, you know, apply it to smaller companies without the excess baggage. Explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So the without the excess baggage makes me smile all the time and I got a lot of questions about it. And what I mean by that is for very good reasons, large companies have lots of processes in place. They have lots of processes. Unfortunately, those processes devolve into bureaucracy and politics. So when I mean no baggage, you get the pure marketing work, the pure use of whatever the framework is or the best practice process or the tip or the tool but you don't have to worry about working that through multiple layers of a bureaucracy or going through the political process of large companies, right? So I worked at these large multinational conglomerates and quite often the best idea didn't win. What won was bureaucracy, politics, getting through all of the hurdles. When sometimes when you're working at the speed of business today, you just need to launch something, test it, and then adapt to that launch. So that's what I mean, bringing the best of big company, best practices to smaller companies with. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about influencer marketing as well, right? And you've had some experience, particularly on the B2B side. Tell me more about your experience with B2B influencer marketing. What have you seen that's worked? What's not worked? Yeah, absolutely. So B2B and B2C are actually quite different. So most commonly B2C is associated with influencer marketing. And we certainly run programs with industry influencers who may understand the end consumer really well and those types of things. But I think it's worth mentioning that it's really relevant in B2B marketing as well. 
And so what happens in particular industries in B2B is that you have certain people that are recognized thought leaders. So it might be, again, the few industries that we might serve are B2B tech. It could be consumer packaged goods. It could be healthcare. It could be financial services. And there are certain people in those industries that really shape the thinking of that industry, either from a marketing perspective or just from a general industry perspective. So for example, once in a healthcare client that we had, we were trying to get to hospital CIOs to adopt a particular AI technology for our clients. And what we found is that there's a few conferences that all of these CIOs tend to attend. And so understanding who the people are, who those thought leaders are, and then basically working with those influencers, we would call them in B2B, we would call them thought leaders, and providing them information about the industry and how it's evolving from a technology perspective. And oh, by the way, our brand is associated with it. Those tend to be the most successful. What usually does not work in a B2B environment is some sort of a pay to play. We see that quite often on the consumer side, but it doesn't tend to work on the business to business side because those individuals are not necessarily motivated by money. They don't want to feel like they can be bought for their sponsorship. Rather, they want to be educated. They want to learn and they want to share that knowledge with their audiences. And when that's done really well, that's when it can have a really good halo effect on a particular brand. Okay, that makes sense. And in influencer marketing context for B2B particularly, have you seen certain things that you would say is definitely a no-go? I mean, something that people should be very wary of? Yeah, there's two things that tend to work in the B2C space that I would not recommend in the B2B space. The first one is what I mentioned earlier, is trying to pay your way in. Certainly, sometimes there's money associated with it. But for example, I've never seen, and I don't think we will ever see, some sort of a B2B exchange where influencers can flock, get selected, and get paid through the platform. There's tons of those platforms in the B2C space. I don't think that will ever happen because they're not looking for a monetary reward primarily. Second, quite often brands on the B2C side will try to get a lot of different influencers. So they'll try to multiple influencers and try to get an effect by hitting up, hitting the masses through multiple influencers. That generally will not work in B2B because there are usually far fewer influencers. So some sort of a large scale spray and pray type of an effect usually does not work because it's much more precise in the approach. You have to find the person, you have to customize the message, and you have to work very closely with them as opposed to expecting the same message from, I don't know, 20 or 30 or some number of influencers like that. All right, that makes sense. And since we're talking about influencer marketing, right, one thing that I like asking all of my guests is to give one most controversial hot take on influencer marketing that maybe you believe in, but, you know, uh, others may not. I believe I'm a little bit of a purist, so the, I don't think I have a hot take. The hottest take I can probably think of is that as consumers become more and more sophisticated, they're going to become less and less interested in influencer marketing because they're going to notice that it's bought and paid for. And they're going to notice it, it's not actually somebody advocating for a particular type of a brand. They're just doing it because they're getting paid. That's certainly how I look at it. And I would assume as the industry evolves, that's how it's going to head. So companies that rely exclusively on some type of influencer marketing are probably going to have to adapt their approaches accordingly. That's definitely how, at least on the consumer side, I have been very observant that, you know, if there is somebody promoting a brand, I'm very curious or cautious, like, okay, what's the intent behind this? Can I get a sense of whether they genuinely use the product and are therefore recommending it? So given that 
this is sort of a hot take or a prediction that you are making. As a brand, if you are looking to work with influencers, is it even more important to make sure that this person actually cares about your product and tries to use the product and therefore is a good fit for your influencer marketing program? Yeah, my belief is more authentic connection with an influencer and the brand is probably the way to go rather than making it exclusively some sort of a pay-for-play type of an environment. I would say that's a good summary and I would agree with that. Got it. Let's switch back to the fractional CMO story, right? And I wonder, there's a lot of marketers listening to this podcast and I'm sure some of them are also in that stage where they're you know, starting to think of becoming fractional CMOs. One question that came in when we were sourcing some questions from the audience as well is if you're wanting to become a fractional CMO, you are also expected to be working with multiple brands. What's the best practice to manage your headspace, mind space towards you know managing different brands, different industries? You typically don't want to pick competing brands to work with, so you're trying to find you know different areas where you can work. And how do you manage your day or your headspace to do a good job with multiple brands? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a very common question. The answer is that it's really difficult, right? So context switching and feeling like you're available for all of your clients can be extremely difficult to do. So there's a couple of best practices that we recommend to our fractionals. Number one is time blocking. And what I mean by that is the most common arrangement for a fractional CMO is something like eight to 10 hours on a particular company, eight to 10 hours on another one. And let's say you have three engagements like that. So that's a day and a half for three of those. That's like four and a half days. That's a generally a full workload for a fractional because you still need some flexibility time and sometimes you need a little more. So what I recommend is about 50% of that time is static. And what I mean by that is the, it's the same meetings or the same conversations every single week. Then you can block those in your calendar and you can be totally available for client A on, let's say, Monday afternoon from noon until four, whatever the time is, right? So Monday afternoon is for client A, Tuesday afternoon is for client B and Wednesday afternoon is for client C, for example. Then that, what that allows you is all the rest of the time to be flexible. What we have found is if all of the time is flexible, then it is very chaotic because you might be going from one call to another call to a different context. And if your day is sometimes packed with multiple meetings, it is very difficult to make that context switch. The second reason is if you're all time blocked, then you have no flexibility then let's say you're only on Monday working for a client, then you miss an entire week before you're able to work with that client again. And they will almost for sure get frustrated or you will get frustrated because you will be out of the loop on what's happening. So the number one thing I suggest to people is time blocking. The number two thing I suggest is really setting the right expectation with a particular client. And what I mean by that is in an upfront while you're onboarding or conducting your assessment, it's really important to set the right expectation. So Yes, we have eight to 10 hours. Yes, I might be a little bit flexible, but just so you know, I'm sometimes going to say no to you and your team because I have other commitments. That's part and parcel. It's surprising to me that so few people actually set the right expectation and continue to set that expectation as an engagement continue. Okay, cool. So I think, uh, you know, from a fractional CMO perspective, one thing that we discussed was you're largely a strategy owner. That's what you're trying to bring onto the table. And you've got a set of folks who can help you with the execution. With that, what are certain metrics that you should own as a fractional CMO? Is it very similar to what you would own if you were a full-time 
marketer or a head of marketing or does it change because you really are not spending as much time? Yeah, so I would say bringing in an experienced fractional CMO is the first step to a full-time chief marketing officer for most companies. So the biggest thing that you're changing inside a company is usually there were no metrics around marketing success. So yes, the top level answer is they're the same. Whatever a chief marketing officer's metrics would be, whether those are top line, whether those are customer related, whether they're retention rate, whatever those are, the biggest task is getting the organization used to measuring something that they didn't measure before. But yeah, the top line answer I would give is that they're pretty much the same between a fractional and a full-time chief marketing officer. Got it. Makes sense. And if it's a brand who's trying to make this decision, what are signs of a good fractional CMO? Yeah, I would say anybody who has a Mac can call themselves a fractional CMO. That's a majorly big challenge. So one of the things we've taken on is raising the bar very high, anybody we bring into our community, because when a prospect comes to us with a problem, we want to be able to know that they have them. So we have three criteria that are pretty tried and true, and we stick, we're sticking to them. So the first one is the person must have at least 15 years of marketing experience, right? At least 15, but most of our people have 20, 25 or more years of experience. So second is that they have to have in-house experience inside a company running a marketing department. If you don't know what it's like to run a marketing department inside a company, and you've only been on the outside of companies, it's very hard to be a fractional CMO who feels like a member of the leadership team. You need to know what that feels like. And then number three, you had to have had experience as a consultant or an advisor or an agency owner. So flip to that is you also need to know what it's like to be outside providing advice and providing guidance for as an outside consultant as well. So all three of those are extremely important. It feels like whenever we invite somebody into our community that doesn't have those three experiences, they're less successful. So as we look forward, those are going to be much more stringent requirements. So I would say for a company who is looking to hire a fractional CMO, really understand before you start, what are the criteria that are going to help your business get to the next level? Is it industry expertise? Is it a particular technical expertise? Is it a particular industry stage? What are those things? Because if you have that clarity, then we can actually help you align with the right person. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, no conversation is over these days without talking about AI. So uh, what is your understanding of how AI is influencing the marketing space? What do you see as a future trend, or at least the near future? When I say near future, I mean, maybe over the next three to five years, how is AI going to influence marketing? I've done my very best to keep up with AI, but anybody who says they keep up with all of AI is probably lying because it's too difficult. So I would say, as somebody who's very interested in the future of marketing and specifically marketing technology, AI is probably the most transformative trend since the advent of the internet. So it's really a big deal. And I think there's going to end up being probably two different flavors of marketing that are going to be successful in the future. So first of all, if you're a job and you just do a job and all you do is that job. So for example, you're a copywriter or you're a social media person, or you, know, you do a very small fixed group of things. I think AI will wipe that profession out pretty quickly or be greatly diminished in the next five to 10 years. So what I tell everybody I know or everybody on my team at least is that it's AI as a co-pilot. So learn the tools. The first thing that people can learn is that using the most basic AI tools will make them more efficient in their jobs. So first learn that level. And that number I've heard to become 30% to 50% 
more efficient in actually doing their day-to-day jobs. So everybody should absolutely learn that. The next level is how can you use AI to actually get better at your job, right? So either more insightful, better creativity, more ideas, more than just productivity. It's it's really reaching that second level. And so the other flavor of successful marketer is somebody who's going to be well-versed in using AI to not just improve the productivity, but actually improve the quality of the work. I'm continually amazed at the quality of AI. When we do some sort of market analysis or reviewing a survey or something else like that, how well AI can actually find the unfindable insights that a human brain can't actually find. So for example, for that, we did a recent project that really blows my mind. We were conducting some very basic analysis on consumer data. We had some few hundred responses in a survey and I asked AI to help analyze it. And the most surprising thing, so first of all, it did all of the work really well. So give me the percentages, tell me what this was, tell me all that. So that, that it did an extremely good job. But then I asked it for any unexpected or difficult to find or non-obvious insights. And it actually started building correlations between things that I didn't even think of asking. So when you leave it up to its own devices, it takes you as a marketer to another level. Those are the marketers I think that are going to be the most successful. Not those that rely entirely on AI, but those who are really willing to give it a shot to make them better at their jobs. I think that's great insight. And uh, I mean, just switching gears a little, I want to ask you a rather fun question. If you were to take out an influencer to lunch, who would that person be and why? I would say any of the popular influencers I have no desire for. So let me think of this one. <laughs> oh, you know who I would take? I, was, I got you a critique. I would take Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Oh, wow. Because he's technically an influencer. Yep. But I think he would be incredibly interesting. Besides the fact we have similar haircuts, I would say he would be incredibly interesting because his origin story and from where he came to all the things he's done in his life and his career, from being a football player, and then he went to becoming a wrestler, and then he went to becoming an actor, and now he's this mega famous person. Really, I would love to take him to lunch and really understand how he went about that journey, what were his biggest struggles, how he decided to pivot his career at key inflection points. Like, how did you know to go from football to wrestling, from wrestling to acting to this mega star? Like, how do you kind of go through all of those things? If I can pick any influencer, I would probably pick Dwayne Johnson. I think he's a friend. I, I think that's an amazing answer. And, you know, even as a kid, he used to be my favorite wrestler. And over time, I followed his journey personally also, right? And I think one thing amazing about him is that you know that you're career is short in that space, right? As a wrestler, there's only so long that you can make the best out of. And one thing amazing about Dwayne Johnson, I think, is that he's truly converted himself into a a true business owner and has ventured out into so many successful activities. And that's actually helped him stay up on top of his game as well, right? And, you know, he's dabbled around with different careers, but end of the day, he's found success in almost all of them, which is really hard to find, right? It's like being good at everything that you do. Incredible. And he's extremely intelligent. He's ridiculously hardworking. He's very disciplined. Like just being around somebody with those traits, I'd probably learn a lot from. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Rajat, as we get to the end of the show, any advice for brand owners, CEOs listening to this who might be contemplating about hiring a fractional CMO or even, you know, the marketers listening to this thinking about potentially becoming fractional CMOs? Any last words before we sign off? Yeah, I would say the message to the business owners is very basic. If you have been struggling with whatever your marketing solution is or no marketing solution, and you've been banging your head against the wall trying to find growth in your business 
that you know exists, consider a fractional CMO. It's very different than an internal hire, and it's very different than what you might have experienced with most marketing agencies. So consider a fractional CMO for that type of thing. And I'm always willing to have a discussion with people to figure out if a fractional CMO is a good fit for them. For the marketers, I would say being a fractional CMO after a good long career in marketing can be a really good option, but that also is something that should be considered. It is much more difficult to become a fractional CMO after a long career in marketing than people might expect. They always think it's going to be hard, but it actually becomes really difficult because fundamentally you are moving from doing a job really well to running a company where that is the product. Now, all of a sudden you have a lot of other things to do besides the work. And what I found about really good marketing people is that they don't want to do the other thing. They just want to do the marketing. So they became frustrated. They left their corporate job. But now there's all these other things that they may not be skilled in doing, particularly sales, business development, things like that. Those are the things we help our community with. So I'm also happy to talk to any experienced marketers that may be considering a switch into the fractional world. Awesome. Sounds good, Rajat. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I think there's a lot of insightful conversation in this entire piece and so many important key takeaways for different audiences as well. Thank you so much for spending time with us and hopefully we'll have you back again soon to talk more. That sounds great, Pratik. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rajat. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's getphylo.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listing platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.